Blog Talk Radio. Weaponry. And the question is, if you can spend that kind of money in terms of weaponry, 
Why is it the government is so in opposition to actually using that money to in, empower its citizens? What What is that all about? What is the statement that they made? Are, are they making? Are they saying that the perpetuation of power as pertains to the one percent is more important than the overall aspirations of the masses of people in the country? Well, if that's what they're saying, if they're saying that their interest supersedes the interests of the masses of people, then clearly the masses of people existence on this planet is superfluous. Which means that the government has to find creative ways in terms of getting rid of lots of people, which it no longer deems valuable in the sense that they can generate revenues, you know, for the system. So I'm very concerned about, you know, this, this, the implications of what's going on, and I think we must have institutions in order to address the very systemic nature of the kind of injustice that's inflicting humanity both in America and throughout the world. So I think institutions are extremely important in terms of achieving that. And I want to thank you for having me, uh, Brother Africa. Okay, Father Brother Haki, we now bring in Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, welcome to Africa on the Move. Uh, thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Following Brother Anthony, we now bring in Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you, thank you, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class in my high school years back in 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao tongue is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And thank you once again for allowing me to be on your show, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Moses. And Father Brother Moses, we now bring in Sister Hattie. Sister Hattie, welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you, Brother Africa, and thank you for doing the show and using your time and spending your life for a betterment of our community and our people locally as well as nationally and internationally. And I'm Sister Hattie, and I have Women United, a nonprofit organization, and we assist women in whatever their life and journey tends to be to help them to be successful at it. And I am a retired public school administrator. Thank you. Thank you. So to head into our listening audience, you're listening to Africa on the Move. And our theme tonight will be the warfare against Venezuela, Cuba, and the poor. Before we go into our theme, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in our community and what's going on in our world and the community with our panelists. And we'd like to uh, give you the opportunity to share your perspective on what's going on in your world and the community as well. But to do this, you will need to call in at 323-679-0841, 323-679-0841, and hit one and we'll acknowledge your last four numbers. But before we go into this first part of the segment of our program, there's a chance to get your thoughts together, and you can call in after this station break. You are listening to Africa on the Move. Thank you. 
Africa on the move, and like Brother Bob stated, don't become a buffalo soldier. Yes, we're still fighting upon the full survival since we arrived to the Western Hemisphere. Tonight we're going to have a discussion on the various warfare that are going against Venezuela and Cuba and the people. We'd like for you to shine in later on, but right now we can go into our segment on what's going on in your world and the community. And you too can share in under the theme by calling 323-679-0841-81. So, panelists, welcome back. Starting with you, Brother Haki. What's going on in your world and the community? Yeah, a couple of things. First, African Awareness Association within the Black History Educational and Cultural Tour to Cuba will be going to Montanza, Trinidad, and Havana. This takes place December 27th to January 3rd, 2019. More information, access to contact us at 804-549-7492 or area code 202-714-9435 or visit, visit us at the website www.aaa-cubatours.com and we encourage one and all to actually go to Cuba and see themselves firsthand why Cuba is such a magnificent place to not only live but to visit. Um, we're sure you'll learn a great deal you know, once you get there. And feel free to have any kind of discourse you please with the Cubans. They're free to discuss whatever they want to discuss, unlike so many in America who are afraid to simply articulate what's going on out of fear that maybe some type of repercussions will act as speaking out. So Cuba is quite different in America, and I thank you very, very pleased once you get an opportunity to go there and see for yourself. Uh, the second thing, Brother Africa, is that I want to talk briefly about the CIA role in terms of facilitating propaganda throughout the world. We know, uh, you know, a few years back, we remember when the uh, former uh, Assistant Secretary of State, Victoria Newland, uh, along with the CIA, went to Ukraine to organize the Nazi forces in Ukraine, ultimately bringing into power an individual by the name of Poroshenko uh, um, <clears throat> to run that country. And the whole notion that propaganda played a big uh, a big part in terms of you know pushing that country to the right is well documented, uh, and it's very very interesting in terms of all the propaganda and how it used and how it shaped people's perception to get people to act against their own self interest. And also, now, one of the things we talk about the role of CIA, and recently we talked about the role of CIA in Brazil. Uh, this is very, very interesting. Uh, they did a very good job, along with the right-wing uh, judiciary there in Brazil, of actually pushing out the former uh, uh, president, uh, the guy that was convicted for so-called corruption, and he's currently in, in prison, unable to run. That's precisely what they want, because inevitably what they wanted to achieve was to bring in, bring into power Individual by the name of Bolsonaro, and this guy is a former congressman, military captain, and this guy is extremely right wing. Also, we talk about the right, min- the, the the orange menace in Washington D.C. in terms of just how reactionary and how brutal he is. But this guy Bolsonaro is even more abusive and even more uh, psychopathic than uh, the guy, the orange menace in the in the White House. Uh, this guy's position is that his his position is that when it comes to military and police brutalization and murder of a citizen. He thinks there should be more of that. Uh, this guy uh, ruthlessly supported the military coup in Brazil back in '64, in which thousands upon thousands of people, were, innocent people, were killed. Uh, he also is uh, on, 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 on board is saying that he wants to uh, ensure um, that the mainstream politicians are on notice, and that if you know that they're, that they're, well, actually he alluded to the fact that their lives uh, will be shortened 
uh, the fact that he has a real uh, animus against you know, so-called mainstream politicians, or for lack of a better term, liberal politicians. And so he's letting them know that once him and his people come to power, that they're in real, real trouble. And also his hatred of indigenous and racial groups, I mean, is, uh, is very, very well documented. And he doesn't, he doesn't hide from that. In fact, his running mate is considered to call itself the Aryan. So, so clearly, even though Brazil is, is, is multicultural, his mission is that the minority, white minority in Brazil have a, a right in terms of running the government to that benefit. So, again, all this is made possible by, by CIA uh, infiltration, CIA propaganda. And often we ask ourselves, how can propaganda be so effective in terms of getting people to act against their own self-interest? Well, the guy wrote a book, and it was a very interesting book. But anyway, he talks about the fact that, you know, uh, propaganda is so effective simply because it appeals to one's emotion. And one of the things is that emotion oftentimes trumps logic. And so given that reality and given the fact that people are so disenchanted with the power structure, anybody who comes to po- anybody who runs for office now, all they have to do is demonstrate a hatred of, of the power structure. Even though they themselves are, in fact, part of that power structure, they make the perception that, in fact, they are in opposition to the power structure. Those people, irrespective of their politics, are likely to be elected, um, uh, elected to office. We got Trump. Uh, Trump was elected to office not because he's a genius, not because he's intelligent, or not because he's a, a statesman. He got elected simply because of disenchantment with the ruling class in America. And as a consequence, people voted vote was a vote against ruling class and not necessarily a vote for Trump. So here in Brazil, they got this this, this madman Bolsonaro, uh, whose who's, who's temperament is similar to Trump, who's probably on his way to becoming president of Brazil. So it's a very scary, scary situation, but we got to keep in mind, when we look at in terms of the CIA's uh, or the U.S. policies uh, with these ruthless countries or these ruthless individuals in these countries, when we look at that relationship, then it speaks volumes in terms of relationship the U.S. government has with its own citizenry here. To the extent that people's existence is, is really esoteric, I think that's very, very clear when you look at the kind of policies that they endorse, particularly when you talk about brutalization and murdering the people simply because they color their skin uh, their, 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 their station in life, uh, how much money they earn, or where they live. So clearly, uh, the CIA role in terms of fomenting, you know, these coups around the world doesn't doesn't bode well for people right here in America, nor people in the continent of Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Leaving Haki and going to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world in the community? Oh, okay. Uh, okay, a couple of things. Um, uh, let's see, there's a new uh, policy in Washington, D.C. regarding uh, demonstrations in the vicinity of the White House and along uh, Pennsylvania Avenue between the Mall and Independence Avenue, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, restri- uh, restricting demonstrations in the, in the Mall. And this looks like an effort to... Um, uh, to suppress and stifle uh, political d- dissent and make it harder for people to protest uh, U.S. government policy openly. Also, uh, Kanye West uh, met with uh, Donald Trump last week, and uh, this seems to be a ploy to, um, uh, f- uh, to increase Trump's uh, popularity uh, in the African community, uh, because 
you know, using, uh, you know, Wes's uh, popularity among Africans, you know, uh, to try to do that. Uh, I, I question the effectiveness of that, but um, but that uh, but but uh, th- that seems to be uh, Trump's uh, rationale for meeting with him, you know you know with him, and uh, that's uh, it for right now. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Going from Brother Anthony to Brother Moses. What's going on in your world and the community? Well, as I've been saying for the last couple of weeks, uh, there's going to be a national network on Cuba fall meeting and conference. Uh, this is an annual meeting uh, that will take place in Minneapolis, Minnesota, coming up this this week, next following week in October the 20th through the 21st, 2018. Uh, there will be representatives from the Cuban government and a lot of organizations uh, around Cuba. The phone number for anyone interested is 617-254-9070. And there's a web page, nnoc.info, for anybody interested. Uh, that'll be coming up this 20th to 21st of October. Uh, thank you. Father Brother Moses, we're now bringing Sister Hattie. Sister Hattie, what's going on in your world the community? Okay. Well, we're still working on our project, Black Women Wisdom 90 and Up, to build bridge between our elders and the young African women and uh, trying to get to that Cuban uh, conference there in Minneapolis. So be doing that along with our regular Million Woman March anniversary pieces for the uh, month of October. And New York will have a uh, very nice rally coming up to kick off We Declare Genocide, We Charge Genocide Project. So thank you. And if people want to get information on the We Charge Genocide piece, they can come check the uh, Dr. Filet, who's out in Philadelphia, and um, at M- National MW National Million Woman March at AOL dot com. That's National Million Woman March at AOL dot com. Thank you, Sister Hardy. Thank you. Anything we just then during the segment? Anyone would like to respond to before I raise my some of my questions or concerns? Okay, panelists. This week, as usual, you know you hear of all kind of outrageous things as it relates to life and conditions inside the United States, as it relates to oppressed people, with emphasis on the African community. Um. There was a recent report that that a young a young man, in this case an uncommon boy, he was nine years old, a young man or a boy nine years old was in a supermarket and he alleged inappropriate touching a European woman. But it was revealed later on on tape this incident never happened. But again, we begin to see where Susie can begin to say anything 
and, and continue to put in jeopardy the lives of African men in this country. What do you all make up again of this narrative continue to happen? And how do we deal with it? Many people say, remind them back in the day of enslavement, where European women could say anything and we, and, and we was punished for it, while any kind of concrete proof or justification. So panelists, what do y'all take on this particular incident? And how do we deal with it? Brother Haki, lead us out with the discussion. Yeah, well, you know, I I, I saw the the, um, the video of, of that incident. Apparently what happened was the, the, the young kid was with his mother along with his little sister, and he was going out the store, and his book bag accidentally brushed the woman from behind. As opposed to you know uh, you know um, you know ignoring the situation, what she did was she confronted the the mother, which sort of inflamed the situation because the mother's position is very very clear that why on earth would my son grab your butt, particularly when I'm in the vicinity, I'm right behind him, why would he do such a thing? In other words, what you're saying to me that I'm a bad parent, so the so the mother took some offense in terms of, in terms of that. Well, she used the white woman used the justification to call the police and to and to make make a play on the phone about the fact that the, uh, the young nine-year-old boy touched her butt. Well, of course, that uh, ignited a firestorm because all the uh, grown Africans that were standing around were in, indignant because the fact that she her, her intent was to, at least in the minds of the Af- grown Africans, was to criminalize uh, the, the, the young African boy even though he didn't do anything. Uh, the mere fact that he's nine years, nine years of age, uh, uh, even if he accidentally touched her with, with his hand, it's not a major thing when you you actually call the police. But she did, and her position was that she, you know, she's a police officer, and so therefore, she, in her mind, she was doing was 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 right and justifiable. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, another white female confronted her like, "What what is what do you hope to gain by doing such a thing, calling the police on the children?" Because when when she said out loudly, and she wanted to make sure that the little nine year old heard her, but when he talked, when she talked about giving the police, the little nine year old started crying, because the little nine year old understands, in Flatworth community of Brooklyn, understand that the police often meet, equate with death. Uh, the uh, the idea of cops killing you know African people is nothing new in um in the, in that area, and so he, the kid understood that uh, the potential for being killed is so great that it terrified him, so the kid started crying. And his mother and the other grown Africans trying to console him, you know, get him calm down. It's going to be okay. Don't worry about it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but she stayed on the phone for about a couple of minutes just ranting about, you know, telling the police you know, she was sexually assaulted, blah, 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 blah. Even after the the, um, the videos uh, was revealed, which showed that clearly the boy didn't touch her behind. Uh, number one, she didn't have a bunch of behind. She didn't have a behind anyway. But anyway, the little boy didn't touch what, 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 what she perceived as a behind. He didn't touch her at all. And um, and you know, her book bag actually sort of swiped her. You could saw it was congested, and he, him and mother were trying, and his little sister were trying to get out. Uh, so um, clearly, uh, even after that was revealed that it, he didn't grab her butt, she she didn't give a genuine uh, apology in terms of what transpired. She was sort of she was still sort of somewhat uh, defensive, uh, as though that she was justified in doing what she does. And one of the things she said, I think that was extraordinary, was that she. She said to the white woman who confronted her, she said to her, uh, you, you know, something to the sense that you're white. In other words, you should go along with me. And, uh, and so 
is very, very interesting. And it's superposed upon the fact that she said she's a cop. Uh, I'm like, wow. I mean, that, that was extraordinary. But what can we do in terms of preventing that kind of thing? Unfortunately, Brother Africa, my position is ain't much you can do to prevent this kind of thing. I think this is just the, the climate that we live in. I think it's been to a large extent facilitated by the orange menace in the White House. And so I think that uh, this, this kind of um, uh, these kind of misperceptions, uh, these kind, this kind of uh, racist uh, baggage uh, that exists in the minds of so many uh, white Americans, I think uh, we can anticipate more of the same. I don't know how you're going to prevent a nine-year-old from, from accidentally, you know, bumping to somebody with a book bag. It happens. Uh, you know, it is his child. I mean, it happens. Uh, they're not some, always conscious of what, where they are and where people are. It's just trying to reach a destination, and that's what they, what they try to do. So I don't know about that. I don't know what as much we can do in terms of, you know, preventing this kind of situation in the future. I think the only thing we can really do is, as a community, we just got to become organized, be prepared for whatever comes down the road. And uh, when these kind of situations occur, then we got to be able to organize lots and lots of people, you know, you know, in a relatively short period of time, just to show that we mean business that our children will not be criminalized. Anthony, you want to take all this? Yes. Um, very concerned because it is somewhat reminiscent as uh, as uh, we were discussing off the air of uh, what happened to uh, Emmett Till uh, some uh, 60 uh, uh, years ago. Uh, he was accused of actually... Uh, uh, flirting with this European, turns out that, uh, that 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 it wasn't the case at all, but he ended up getting killed behind it. So we really have to do um, uh, one. We have to educate our people about the, our true history. For one, we have to get organized, and we have to do everything we can to protect our children. And, uh, and uh, you know, and that starts uh, with teaching them the truth. And, uh, you know, we must learn that true history. And uh, even the painful aspects of it, they, they, we must share it with them. So. Hmm. What do you think about this, Sister Haley? Well... I'm going to take a little bit different approach. One of the things that I think we we have to do is to teach our boys the drama of the white female. Not that black females don't have drama. African women can do the same. Black women can do the same. But there's a different kind of drama that's dangerous to come along with the drama of the white woman. And so I think our boys, little boys, think that even when they're in school, they're in these integrated situations, and they think that it's okay to play with Susie, just like anything. And so for me, that's number one strategy right there, is to teach our little boys the truth about the danger of playing with little Susie in second, first grade. And I was very saddened to have to teach my little boy that when he was in first grade. I thought, oh, God, because I see it and I saw it unfolding. And you can look at it time and time and time again 
the little European girls are chasing the little black boys around like the little black boys running from her like crazy, but she just after him, after him, after him. I don't know if they're taught that way. I don't know if the melatonin just gets to them and they can't help it. I don't know if it's the spirit that the black man has, which is a little boy spirit, just just turns them out already just looking at it. But fact of the matter is we've got to teach our little boys the danger of this woman. And because they see some black men, you know, often that integrated situation in family life, reproducing with, et cetera, we still have to help them to understand Basically, this is um, something that can cause A, B, C all the way to Z for you. Now, if they choose to do that in their lives, then this is what you can expect. Chances are the drama will be there. And so I think we have to do that. We have to teach them that. Uh, Like I said, it was so sad. I just saw this stuff unfolding at a very young age with my two little black boys in Minnesota these girls after them, white girls, and having to go and do the Emmett Till piece with them and show them what happens and how it comes up. And I'm I'm constantly, I don't know if anybody has ever seen that movie called, it's really old and I just actually saw it recently. It's called uh, This is a Good Day to Die with Sidney Poitier in it. And it's a, a little a white European frontiers woman family, and she just loved the Indian man. He had that same effect on her. So we have to teach them. This is what you can expect for that. Unless we educate them, they will be blindsided because society is telling them, okay, integration and everybody is equal and free. And that's the lie that's been told to them. But we have to figure ways to protect them by educating them what the potential is when you get into those kinds of situations. So that's number one for me, is to educate our little children and not have them be subjected to the trick of the white man and his woman. And even the fact, economically, when this man gets to be older, and this man gets to be very productive in society, and this man gets him some money through some way to take it and give it to the European woman, then what does that mean for you? We have to educate them in that manner. Otherwise, they won't know. They won't understand it. They'll only go for it, and they still will go for it. <laughs> you know, a lot of the times they will only go for what society is teaching them. The Sally with the blonde hair and the blue eyes will raise you up and give you a higher status in in this whole situation of life that we have here. And so I think, for me, that's the major piece is educate these little boys, educate these little boys, and help them to understand what's what, how it's going to be, because they can end up dead, they can end up in jail on some BS that does not even make any sense, and that they need to be aware of how they're carrying themselves around these women. Now, I saw that video of the little boy, and naturally he didn't do anything. He just walked past. And, uh, yeah, it was an accident, but that just shows you who is minding the courts, who is minding the police force. You know, if we got these kinds of people on there, we'll keep getting the same results. So I, I still think we still have to, as sad as I am to say this, 
get more people, black folks, in certain positions and roles. Even despite the fact, just because they're there, it surely doesn't mean that they will do what is right by their people. And I'm not saying giving black folk any special privilege. I'm just saying being equal and fair. Treat everybody the same. Because I was on the end of those dents when I worked in public education 37 years, 26 of them being in Minneapolis, Minnesota. But it took a black woman, a black woman to do me in. The white folks, they know who to go get when they need to take somebody down and out that don't fit their framework anymore. They'll get one of us to do the other one in. And as soon as they did her in, of course, as soon as she did me in, of course, they did her in. She didn't understand that part. That was the part that was really uh, interesting, but that's what they do. She didn't know that, apparently. So I think educating around the dynamics of this integration piece and the relationship piece so that they will know what to expect. That's number one for me. And just do what they need to do for their people. Bring them up in a way that they can manage and understand what they need to be doing in order to help uplift black folks in this country. So that's kind of my take on that one. I think just educate them about it because they won't know unless we tell them because it's just a whole different uh, kind of perspective what society presents this woman to the black boys and men. I mean, I've seen little girls, little white girls chase little boys down on the playground till it was like, good, will you leave him alone? So, thank you. Thank you. We now go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, how should we respond to the situation? Uh, innocent or nine-year-old boy. Yes, it was a terrible situation, um, a traumatic situation for the young young man and his family. Uh, uh, certainly, it was seems from, from the film, but what I saw, his backpack evidently brushed against the woman's uh, rear, and uh, that was that was it from then on. Uh, uh, certainly, you know this. There's no there's no excuse for this kind of phobia uh, um, that uh, the young black men are being subjected to. Uh, um, it's, it's 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 a terrible situation, uh, um, and we do we do need to have some sensitivity training uh, and uh, and uh, awareness of the situation that we face. Uh, I'll just leave it right there. Thank you. Brother Oscar. Brother Oscar. Yeah, good, brother. Let me, let me, let me, let me, uh, let me, let me, let me, let me uh, talk to my beloved sister because I'm, 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 I'm trying to reconcile with some of the things she was saying, and I agree with a lot of what she's saying. Uh, some of the things I, I, I may have to take a different approach, and I just want to start sit ahead and see what her response might be. Um, that is that one of the things that one of the problems. Is that you know a, a lot of times, increasingly, these schools are not allowing children to be children, particularly when it comes to African youth. Uh, they're very they're, they're overly critical in terms of a child being a child. There was a situation uh, where uh, a young a young five year old 
uh, hugged uh, a little a little white well, actually a little white girl and a little little African child hugged each other, and of course um, the the blame fell on a little African male child uh, for hugging. Uh, so this, this notion that you know our children cannot be children, I'm afraid that inadvertently, you know if if, if we don't communicate it you know just right in terms of our history, that the kid may conclude what we're trying to say to him or her. It's fact that uh, that you're that you're less than, uh, that you're not uh, you you have no autonomy over you know over your over yourself that is determined by other people, and I think that's one of the things I'm I'm very concerned about. So in terms of you know narrowing the focus uh, to the extent that um, we can communicate, you know the dangers the, the implicit dangers in terms of being a global racist society, and not. Uh, getting that kid to believe on a subconscious level that in fact that they are less than, or that they are, <clears throat> or they are subservient to others, I think is that a message that we want to we want to convey. But I think in in a sort of kind of way, if if we <clears throat> if we overly emphasize the differences, then I'm afraid that we may be we may discouraging that child from being a child. And I think once that's one of the real problems that we have in the society. Particularly when it comes to African youth, is that society, this is society, particularly, <clears throat> has been doing a very good job in terms of, you know, um, not allowing American, I mean, African children to be children. So, your response to that, Sister Okay, I heard this theme of censorship. I heard a child being a child. And I heard that you think. Uh, that perhaps can be something meant to be uh, uh, lesser than. And so the education piece that I'm, I'm basically talking about is one of, I'm going to present the facts to you. Here's Emmett Till. This is our history. Here is uh, whomever else there was, you know, the, the one up in uh, Duluth, Minnesota that accused uh, the man of, of doing something and present all of those facts to them. Now, what this means is this for you. You have to be careful about how you handle yourself. We've always had a different education for our children than whites because we know whites can do the exact same thing. So they have to understand and then get a different result. You look at the penal system, it tells you that right now, mass incarceration of marijuana. Tell you that right now. By the way, there was a a, a video on YouTube, and, and this man said it so well. He talked about, he said, white people are sociopaths. Y'all should check that out. It was really interesting. This is a white man now, by the way. And so he spun it out and he talked about the drugs, who has the most drugs, and then yet who gets arrested, pulled over for drugs more often. He talked about stereotypes if you see a black boy in a fancy car, and if you see a white boy and a young teenage white boy in a fancy car, what do you think? One is spoiled brat, the other one is drug dealer. Which one do you think they're talking about? We all know. So I'm saying educate them, give them the facts. We're not talking about censorship. If you decide that's the route you want to go when you get to be a there's nothing you can do to keep them away, but they won't go in it blindly. Educate them around the economy, how to turn that money over into their own community. Those are the things we're talking about educating. And as far as lesser than, 
if you do a good, you got to do a good job of teaching your children about their own history. You got to teach your children the truth about the thievery that went on with just inventions of black people, how they stole everything and they keep stealing everything. Every time you turn around, they've stolen something else that some black man or woman presented that was good and that was great. And then they steal it and take it for themselves. Someone told me they were turning Martin Luther King into a white man down in some place with some curriculum. And so this is what they do. You have to teach your children that, and your children have to have to have should have a good sense of who they are, who the people were around them in their history that did great things. So they, they, knowing that, they should not have low self-esteem and say, "Oh, well, this makes me lesser than." Uh. Uh-uh. No, you got to first teach them the history of who they really are. Now, I, I, would, I would agree that most people probably don't have that capability, nor do they have the time, nor do they want to have the time, because so many of us are bought into the integration piece now to a, a really high, high level. You know, and I know we all have to live here together. I, I tell everybody, I, I've been involved in it all my life, cultural diversity, trying to blend it up, trying to mix it up. Seeing, you know, everybody is, is fair. I'm very fair. I raised a little white boy. So I understand all that, but I do know one thing. We have to teach our children the truth about what will happen to them around that issue. Otherwise, I think we can look more and more forward to more of that happening. And I, I don't quite understand how it could be perceived as them being lesser than um, just because, to me, that, that, that kind of borders on what the, one of the issues is when I hear that. I, I don't understand how would they think any lesser of themselves because of that. And children do need to be children. That's what I said. And remember what I said. I was so, so sad to have to teach my children about Emmett Till. They had never heard of him. I knew I would have to eventually teach these little black boys about Emmett Till, but never in my wildest dreams did I have to think I would have to teach that child that at, you know, first grade. So that, that's kind of my thought on those, those things there, letting a child be a child and censorship and then low self-esteem and that sort of stuff. Mm. So I don't know if that helps or not, but yeah. And, and and certainly if you if you play too much into it with them, that's the first thing they'll run out and get. If you if you kind of deal with it too too much, it has to be a balance of it. Just I'm just saying, tell them the truth, educate them, give them the facts, and they're gonna have to determine for themselves whether or not they're gonna deal with that issue. But it certainly doesn't mean that there are any censorship on any level. It's the facts. It's your history. How are you going to handle that history is up to you. How do you, yeah, do you well, want to endanger your life? Do you want to endanger yourself going to penitentiary because Sally said you did something to her? How many athletes have already gone through that? Thank you. Yeah, I think, I think probably setting a good example is probably the best way to communicate, you know, how to carry yourself in society without impinging on the kids, uh, you know, autonomy. Uh, one of the things is the children, one of the things they want to feel like they have control or mastery over, over, over their own being. And so anything that tends to undermine or prevent kids from feeling that mastery, I'd I, I be very, very careful about. 
And I do understand your point. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the guys I went to school with, uh, he was a mathematician genius. The brother was a genius. Uh, he, uh, his brother didn't make an A's all his life. He was a mathematician. He was a genius. Uh, he took upon himself, he had a relationship with this, this uh, white female. Well, her, her roommate came back, caught him, you know, in the bed, and she, of course, called home to the girl's parents and told the girl's parents what happened. Of course, the next day, the, the, the father was there because he couldn't tolerate the idea that his princess was, was going to be with, a, with, a, with an African man. Um, and so what happened was that he pressured her to say that he raped her, and she did. She initially said that he raped her. They went to My court point. and she cha- she went to court and she changed her mind. She said, "No, he didn't rape me. It was consensual." Well, it didn't matter. The courts frowned upon the fact that you're talking about you know this African man and this European woman. They frowned on him. They gave him 75 years. That boy had never been in trouble in his life. He's a, a math major, genius, uh, A's all his life. Uh, they gave him 75 years in prison. To set an example. You know, that if you have a relationship with these white women, then here's a here's potential this is going to happen to you. So clearly he didn't That's have the a, a history. Yeah, clearly he didn't have the history of understanding that there are certain perils when you, if you decide to do that. But, see, I had the correct example of my parents who let me know that in this country, in, in this country, that your relationship with white folks uh, has to be very circumspect because, because anything could happen. People could be accused of anything. So by example, so say my parents, you know, uh, particularly my father, you know, deal with, you know, uh, the racist, racist insurance individual, insurance salesperson, or the sales clerk at store who exhibit racism, and seeing watching my father, how he dealt with that. So I begin to understand at an early age that, you know, these people ought to be, uh, ought to be scrutinized very, very closely. And I've got to be very careful because the possibility that, you know, I could end up in big, big trouble but something that they said or something they've done is very, very real. And so I think he had, he had to tell me, I just saw from an example that I realized, you know, that this is the reality of, of America. And so that was a very valuable, very valuable lesson to me. But my, but he did it, but my father did it in such a way in which, you know, I, my autonomy was never in question. I continue to be me and do all the things that children do. But in the back of my mind, I recognized that I live in a racist society, in a racist country, and so, therefore, you know, uh, I do understand that potentially I could get in big, big trouble in terms of my interaction with these people based on the fact that these people don't have my best interests at heart. So I think the best way to convey, you know, uh, that message that, you, that you're talking about, Sister Hattie, is probably do example and, and in which the kids would get it and they would understand without them losing their autonomy or sense of control they have over, their, over themselves. So I think that's, that's the only point I'm trying to make. And, uh you know, so um, I'll just close with that. I would add that I think it's important that uh, that that we start educating African youth at an earlier stage about our history and culture and our role and how we uh, and how we got into the state that we're in now. But I, but but uh, it, it it takes Africans taking control of uh, you know the presentation of that history, taking control of our narrative, so to speak. And um, it takes extra time, granted, and it may not be easy, but it is nece- it is absolutely necessary that we start 
you know, teaching our youth at an early age our history and culture. All right, panel, this is what we're going to do right now. We're going to take a station break. When you come back, we'd like to get y'all to respond to this article titled, UK Government, We Accidentally Sold 10,000 Children to Child Traffickers. Uh, how does a government sell its children to child, child traffickers? We'd like for y'all to respond to that when we come back. This is... Africa on the moon. Let me just read this article, a little bit of this article, 
and I will open up to a response from the panelists. It is titled, UK Government, We Accidentally Sold 10,000 Children to to Child Traffickers. It was written on the 23rd of July, 2018 by Edward Morgan. Edward Morgan. So if you get a chance, uh, audience, please read this article. UK government, we accidentally sold 10,000 children to child traffickers. It starts off like this. It said the UK government has admitted it accidentally sold at least 10,000 children to known child traffickers. In the last year alone, now how does a government admit to selling ten thousand children to known children traffickers? How does that happen? Now it goes on and say, ten thousands of children mysteriously, mysteriously disappear from government care every year, where they are groomed by sex traffickers. Recently released government data reveal. And this is from Daily from the Daily Mail out of the UK reports. It comes to me concerns that young people are falling into the hand of gangs, grooming children following recent scandals in Ruffham and Telford. Some of the children were reported missing for more than a month to Daily Telegraph reports. There were one thousand seven hundred and twenty cases of children disappeared for more than a week. Among 60,720 total reported disappearances last year, the Department for Education Statistics show. MP Sarah Chapman, who has campaigned for children's safety following the grooming scandal, said it was truly shocking that so many children went missing. These children were under the guardianship of the state, the government should be ashamed that it is failing them, she said. I just start right there, Palace. Now, when I first took a look at this article, I am still trying to contemplate how does the government sell 10,000 children to known child traffickers. Palace, can you add some kind of clarity to that for me and the listening audience? Well, you know, I, yeah, you know, I, you know, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, the, uh, <clears throat> the, the, the word sold, I, I wasn't quite clear on exactly what that, what, exactly where they were coming from. I sort of felt it was sort of a bit of a, like engaging in some hyperbole. I didn't get a sense that, you know, that was legit in terms of the, the, Lyrics uh, definition of sold. It seems to me if the government is involved in that illicit kind of activity, uh, it wouldn't be so so obvious. You know what I mean? So I sort of felt soul was maybe an attempt just to grab the attention. I think the meat of the story was the fact that uh, you have these kids who are part of the system in the UK who are who are disappearing and nobody gives a damn. I think, but that's not surprising, particularly when you talk about. Um, uh, the the British system, uh, 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 British just like America is under great economic pressure, and a lot of those children who are going missing uh, are children who are who are descendants of immigrants, and so therefore there's no great love in terms of you know the immigrant or their children, 
And so I'm not surprised that these these kids end up in the system, but end up disappearing, and nobody seeks to track them down and find out precisely where they are. So I'm not surprised at all about that. I think, but more importantly, Brother Africa, I think the thing that that that, that it perturbs you probably even more than that is the fact that you got so many out of desperation uh, in countries like uh, Nigeria, uh, Kenya, uh, you know, um, who are because of so, so, such desperation, you know, selling their children to these these white tourists and, and the guys that they can take their children to Europe and give them a good education. Uh, I think that uh, that is extremely unfortunate, and that's that that caused me a great deal of stress because in fact if a situation in which African countries would work together to create you know <clears throat> to create a socialist unified system, then you provide for your populace and they wouldn't have to be subjected to the to the uh exploitation of you know of Western individuals who who motive has nothing to do in terms of really educating these children, but has more to do in terms of the exploitation of these children. So I think it's a dual problem. I think it's, you know, on, on one side of Atlantic, you got the problem. I think, you know, in countries like uh, countries, uh, you know, in the um, in the East, uh, because of poverty, uh, parents are making decisions that are not necessarily conducive to the best being or well-being of their children. So it's a very complex problem. But uh, clearly, the the British, uh, I'm not surprised at all that it happened in Britain because the mentality there is similar to U.S. in which. You know, it's all about the money, and nothing else matters. And the racism is so thick uh, in, 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 in the British in, in the British uh, British country. So um, in the UK, so I'm not surprised that they would be indifferent in terms of the suffering or disappearance of so many children, particularly children of color, you know, from different parts of the East. Brother Abdi. Yes. Um... A concern that I have is where is the outcry uh, or the outrage, rather, from the parents of these children? I mean, uh, I mean, is it a case where they were separated from their families for whatever sets of reasons? And uh, it's a practice that goes on in the U.S., especially among non-European children. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, at a minimum, you would, uh, you would think there would be some, uh, sufficient com- compassion and care for the children that the families of these children, you know, would be, would, would, would be making a, 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 a cry for something, uh, for some concern for their safety and what happens to them. And I think it, uh, I think it reflects a deep seated, uh, political and ideological problem where, uh, where, where, where families are so desperate that they willingly part with their children in order, in, in order to survive. And it's really a sad situation. I know you're not allowing the state to be excused with their be excused in terms of not being that responsibility or being responsible for the kids. Because after all, going to South Africa, they are under their care. Let me read a little more. I'd like to have Brother Moses had response to this article too. It states also that the Children Commissioner and Lanfield 
told the newspaper that schools and care workers need to be able to recognize the signs of a vulnerable child who might be about to go missing. It also comes amid reports that thousands of children and teenagers are rescued from slavery around Britain every year, but few of the captures ever face justice. Six percent of crime reported to police under the Modern Slave Act, Modern Slavery Act, led to persecution. Since it was introduced in 2015, the Times report. Then it says that more than 1,500 potential victims and 110 suspects have been identified by the National Crime Agency in the Rotham investigation, and figures are expected to rise. Brother Moses, Sister Hattie, response to that? Your response to this article so far? Brother Moses, your response to the article so far? Well... I haven't read the article, but it sounds like uh, um, you know the British government is, is irres- irresponsible when it comes to these uh, people of color children, uh, um, and uh, what the what the real problem is is just racism, uh, but the, but how it plays out in the system. Uh, needs to be investigated uh, thoroughly in order to understand exactly what what's going on or what what how do these children fall through the cracks. Uh, uh, we know it's a racist society. It's a race racist society. We know we know that, but but uh, but how it plays out. Uh, and I'd like to read this article and get better understanding myself. Thank you. Well, when you look at the lady, oh, go on. Okay, when you look at the lady's picture, uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. There's no remorse there. There's no, I'm just looking at her eyes. And it's almost like she's kind of doing one of these little snickering kinds of things like, ooh-wee, that kind of thing. That is not a remorseful woman. That is a planned, strategic kind of system that they have in place there. And they also have a system like that in place here in the United States of America. And that system is called the Child Protection System. And see, one thing that I've noticed over the years is this. I used to think it was something that they set up to really, really help people. But having seen it up a little bit closer, what it really is is an opportunity not to help children get out of situations or not to help families be better parents. It's a system that's set up to go in to any home, look at the situation, and see if they got a weak family structure, a weak parent, and maybe a parent that has issues to see if they can really take the child out of the home, get the children into uh, a foster care, and then continue to whittle away at the strength of the family and destroy it as a unit. 
And I say that because of this. And they've done the same thing in this instance here. I'm sure it's the same system. I say it because if they truly were trying to help children, what they would do is set up a system where families could get services that were having difficulty with children. It's just an opportunity for the government to go in and destroy families because if a family is weak, it's going to get very upset about that. Uh, There's a man that had a case in Minnesota, and, and he actually has, um, a organization now he set up as a nonprofit. It's a black man, and I guess three of his children were taken away from him. Two of them came back, and one of them, the youngest one, they kept. Well, the youngest one, you know, they want those because people kind of don't like the older children. They prefer the younger ones, so they feel they're more malleable for white families that want those little black children. So bottom line is, what he said was, when you look at the number of children that are in that system and who they are, 80% of them are African children. So you got all these black children and child protection, state care all over this country. And that's just in Minneapolis, I'm saying 80%. I'm sure it's different percents in different states, depending upon the people who are there. Bottom line, I say that because people who have high-profile jobs and they make lots of money, there's a great need for pedophiles to get fed. And these are the kinds of systems that help feed pedophiles, and these pedophiles get the children and do whatever with them. They are the people that make, you know, lots of money. Um, you take a look at the Penn State situation that happened there. This man had set up this program for little black boys to go and um, be mentored by these white men. And the, the truth really never came out on that. Based upon my white friend who lives in that area, that system was set up for CEOs in the area, white guys who like little boys. And so when we have systems set up for our children, any children, to be abused like that, now that's abuse. So it's almost like these people are coming in to see who they can get. But this man has set up this corporation, this nonprofit corporation, to help other people get their children back. He fired his lawyer, and he went on a, uh, a band wagon to get that done himself. Uh, he had all, he got all of three of his children back. They kept him for 24 months uh, because he spanked, I think, one of the children or something like that. But I always say this, you, you, you're, you're bobbing people for spanking a child, but the state, the policeman can execute a child like the little boy up there in, uh, what was that, Ohio? Who was out? Who's autistic? Out playing with a gun, and it's okay to do that. And you can shoot down black men all day long, and it's okay to do that. But if a parent thinks their child, you got a problem with that. Well, I think the system is set up to do exactly what it's doing. Matter of fact, there are a lot of children missing in, in these um, 
uh, foster care here in this particular country. I have one case that I know for sure. The woman's child was taken, children were taken away from her, and she's telling me recently that they don't know where one of her daughters is. She had two daughters and a son. And so children are missing here, but see here, it's done real sly and sneaky. Nobody knows. They're not reporting it because they don't have to. And so in the UK, the problem I have with this whole article is this. Sold? What do you mean sold? What, what kind of systems do they have there? Are they selling the children once they confiscate them for parental neglect or abuse or what have you? What are they talking about? Sold. You shouldn't be selling them anyway. And to add to you, for instance, Hannah, even if they're selling them, they sell them to so-called criminals in which they're supposed to be locking up. That's like a double whammy. Well, go ahead, Anthony. No, I was just saying, no, you, can't, you can't on one hand, uh, you know, empower government or empower policies that allow for the government to grow its power to where it has authority over your children. Claims that the children of the state and not yourself. Carl, can you repeat your point again? Repeat yes, your point again, that, Carl. Yeah, I'm saying you, on one side, you cannot then vote and support the growth and empowerment of the federal government, which a lot of people do, somehow get the benefits out of this and not suffer the consequences of having a government that then has more power than it should. That's what we're dealing with when you talk about CPS, because the federal government thinks that your children belong to them and not to you. They believe that all children in America are wards of the state, which is why they have, for example, compulsory education in certain areas, like in California, where it's, they're trying to make it illegal to homeschool your children. And so when you empower government, this is the consequence of the government then to do stuff like this. Good point, Carla. Good point. You know, one of the things is yeah. that one of the problems is so intractable is that when you talk about, you know, uh, you know the sheer value of children that are disappearing, Obviously, it's, we're talking about serious organization. In fact, you know, in America, uh, that when you talk about this organization called so-called North American Man Boy Love Association, these are very powerful people. I mean, head of corporations, uh, you know, big-time lawyers, big-time doctors. I mean, these are very powerful people, politicians, very powerful people. And so, therefore, they can do that kind of thing and avoid scrutiny simply because of the virtue of their power and their position. So I think the problem is intractable simply because you got a lot of very powerful people, as I had alluded to, you know, who who, who have this, this fetish, who have this desire to be with little boys. And uh, one of the things that uh, we, 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 we certainly know about, places like, you know, um, um, Taiwan, and which, you know, the Westerners go to Taiwan specifically to engage in sex with the little boys. Uh, and, it's, and it's a growing problem throughout the world. And so I think to some, to some extent, uh, Western governments have to be accountable in terms of, you know, their citizenry going around the world sodomizing little boys. But it's a very intractable problem simply because the people who engage in this activity, for the most part, are very, very powerful people. And so the U.K. is no different in terms of very powerful people, you know, obviously, you know, uh, managing the situation. When you're talking about literally thousands of children disappearing and nobody knows anything, 
So clearly these people are, are very connected, uh, they're very organized, and they have wealth in order to shield these children and to provide at least food, at least sustenance for these children to be exploited. So I think that uh, is a very, very difficult problem. I think it's not going to go anywhere unless, you know, um, communities become more organized and more vigilant in terms of what's going on and, you know, and make sure that the people who engage in that kind of activity understand that this kind of thing won't be tolerated. You know, the problem we have in with this particular issue is that when we talk about the state, the concept of the word state is very vague. It holds no accountability. Now, the state can find rules and laws and policies to lock people up for violating so-called what they call laws. How are they going to be uh, um, not accountable to taking the responsibility, supposed to be the custodian of your child, and all of a sudden the child just gets missing and no one is held accountable? How are they able to um, run the game down on us like that? We make that, make that acceptable. Well, that, that's so what that's the Constitution similar. was designed to help us to stop. The problem is, is that we've got a political movement that calls itself progressives that is literally giving this federal government almost unlimited power. And they're trying to reduce the checks and balances that the Constitution was designed to try to create. Because the whole purpose of the Constitution is to try to create a limited government that the people could still be in control of versus what they had in Europe where you had a tyrannical government that completely controlled the people. And that's what we're trying to avoid. But the problem is, is the people on the left politically in America, because they're determined to get government benefits, whether it's free health care, free college education, free housing, whatever, they don't realize that in exchange for those benefits, they're willing to surrender their freedom and liberties and give the government more power. That's the exchange they're willing to make. And so if you're one of those people that are willing to make that exchange, you cannot then on the other side say, oh, well, oh, this is unjust when the government begins to overreach. No, you gave the government that power to overreach in your desire to get free things. And so this is what you have to choose in life. If you want real freedom and liberty, you have to have a limited government. You can't have it both ways. You can't have this government that controls all aspects of the economy and, and sucks off all this money and controls the healthcare system and then expect that this government is going to behave in a limited and controlled way. It's not going to happen. You can't have it both ways. And people want it both ways because, you know, they've grown up in, in the freedoms they've had in America. But then they look and say, well, I like the freedoms we have, but I want to add these benefits as well that we get in socialist or Marxist countries. And you just can't do it. You have it either either way, one or the other. You can't do both. That's an interesting position you take, Carla. I'm not quite sure that I have came to that same position that you have. But let me say this, and I'll let my panelists weigh in on this. You know, this article reminds me of the same essence of allowing accountability not to be imposed upon the government. When we look at the case that took place about a year ago in South Carolina where there was a student inside a high school who was murdered, and his organs were taken out during school time in the gym, and nobody knew nothing. How could that take place and, and they just walk away and get away with that? This put me in the well, same organ, time. Organ home. harvesting happens around the world, and it happens way more in third world countries and in Africa, where I'm no, from, like countries like Eritrea, where you have people who try to smuggle people to Egypt or into the Middle East, like Israel or Lebanon. And in the process, the people that are helping take them end up killing them and then selling their, their organs. This happens all over the world. It's just, it, it happens in a small level in America. 
And so what happens in America, Americans back like, oh, how could this happen? This has been happening for a long time. It ain't nothing new. It's just that Americans are just starting to feel it. That's the only difference. And because Americans live in a detached reality, because you live in this country that's got so much freedom and so much opportunity and the individual is so empowered, you're now just starting to feel it. And now you turn around and look around and say, oh, what's this and what's that? Acting like you have it bad when you don't. You don't know what oppression is. Americans don't know what poverty is. It's an absolute travesty when I hear these Americans on this line talk as if you live in some horrible situation. You don't even know what oppression even is. You've never experienced that. Living in 2018 in America, you have no idea what you're talking about. You don't know what poverty is. There's no such thing as poverty in America. The, the poorest people in America live at least the, the equivalent of a middle class or higher individual in the majority of the world. But, oh, you got it bad. Okay, Americans, oh, apparently Americans have it bad. Give me a break. It's a bunch of nonsense. Just spoil people that are become weak and can't handle stuff. And so you complain about the weakest, lightest things because you've never dealt with real issues. It's an absolute travesty. You don't deserve to be in America. Well, I don't know about that one either, Carlo. I would deal with you in your position a little while about trying to prepare this way in. But my point I'm making to my listening audience and colleagues is, how is the South where even if you kill someone in any high school, take organs out and nobody's held accountable? How did you get away with that? This is a very violent society. And uh, and uh, things are done by force. And uh, Africans in the U.S. have been subject to centuries of uh, terrorism. And uh, and uh, and uh, you know and uh, and terrorism is is designed to inculcate fear. So uh, so uh, uh, so a lot of us suffer in silence. Because we're disorganized, and uh, you know, and uh, and uh, and the thing about it, though, uh, the masses of the people live in poverty in the U.S. And uh, and the thing about it, and the, the media does a very good job of uh, hiding this by highlighting. Uh, entertainers and athletes and multimillionaires uh, in the media, but you don't. But a lot of times, unless you, you don't see the suffering, you don't see the homelessness and uh, the despair that a lot of people are confronted with on a day-to-day basis. Unless you interact with the community and have to deal with the masses of the people. But if your uh, but if your framework is what you just see on the television, then your view is very skewed and dis- and distorted. Most people who are homeless in America are homeless because of drug use, not because of actual situations that were that were due to poverty or lack of their ability just to take care of themselves. That's the reality. Let me let me respond to this guy because this guy is so absurd. I, I you know my head is hurt because it's so absurd. Let me let me just just rebuke it out of the silliness this guy is espousing. Number one, his assumption is that this is democracy, and so when we talk about the power of the state, we got to understand that the people, the sovereign, the people who the citizenry have no real power in terms of faking, shaping policy. It wasn't it was designed that way. The founding fathers had no idea. They had no desire in terms of ensuring that people have real power. In fact, the founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, 
James Monroe and the rest was critical of the massive people's ability yeah. to actually utilize democracy. In other words, they thought the massive because people because America's not a democracy. Hey, whoa, 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 shut America's up, man! A shut up. Listen, whoa, whoa, whoa! Well, get, you, get your facts you. correct first. We listen to your we listen to your dumb shit. We listen to your dumb shit all day. Now I'm going to talk and listen. You know, now when I finish, you can reflect. No problem, but don't be cutting me off. But that dumb shit that you're talking about is just plain fucking dumb. I mean, I hate to get upset, but that's just plain goddamn dumb. And let me finish what I'm what I'm saying. Now, the founding fathers had no goddamn desire to ensure that you have a truly democratic system. The founding fathers were in opposition to democracy because they meant that everybody had equal voice. Their position was that only Property owners had the right in terms of defining policy. As such, when you look at the preamble of the Constitution, when you talk about uh, when they talk about um, uh, the uh, of, of the, uh, the, uh, the, um, the the oppression of the of the of the of the of the, of the minority, the oppression minority. Damn, I'm, oh boy, I'm so angry I can't think. Anyway, when they when they when they talk about uh, when they talk about um, you know uh, ownership of the land, they were talking specifically about white men who voted. Property owners. That's specifically what they're talking about. There's no provision in the Constitution that says that the people have that the, the people. Only thing that says the people have the right to read to, to redress, you know, this, the government. It doesn't say that you have the right in terms of actually innovating policy. It doesn't work that way. Even though in the context we understand in America, they say that we both have representatives. Our representatives are supposed to represent us, and, um, and that's how our will is perfected. Of course, we understand that our representatives don't represent us. They represent the ruling class, and that's very, very clear. So this question that you keep alluding to, that, that the fact that America is a fucking democracy, is fucking stupid. The notion that you say that people are homeless because they because of drugs? What's wrong with you, man? Do you understand the whole process of gentrification? It has nothing to do in terms of drugs. It means that people are priced out of the market. In fact, one of the things we talk about how the society operates, we talk about we talk about the, the, the overvalue of assets. And we talk about, you know, particularly we talk about housing, and you talk about people investing in housing, making tons and tons and tons of money. Well, that investment drives up the prices of these of, of available housing, which means that if it's giving people wages continues to fall, that's only possible as your wages fall, that you can buy affordable housing simply because affordable housing becomes too expensive. That's like you have justification. It doesn't have a damn thing to do with somebody drinking or somebody using drugs. What the fuck is wrong with you, man? Seriously. Third thing, you know, what I tell you, third thing, you know, it's just, it's just fucking amazing with this fucking stupidity. Anyway, um, the third thing, um, you, know, you just wait respond, man. I'm tired of talking to you. You better say what you got to say. All right, well, first of all, I know that America was not a democracy. It was never formed to be that as a republic. And the reason is democracies can easily be completely mismanaged where it becomes a mobocracy, where a mob can then hold the whole country hostage and demand one thing after another, and that's how countries get mismanaged. I know this firsthand because most third world countries are run that way, and that's why they're rife with corruption and can never move forward. The most successful economic system we've ever seen in history has been the free market capitalist system. And I know that's going to bother a lot of you because many of you have been indoctrinated into Marxism and socialist thinking. And I used to be a Marxist, so I understand that whole perspective and worldview. And I know what it's like to be come up in this American education system and go to college here in America where you get indoctrinated into this leftist ideology, the way you view the world, this leftist revisionism of history, and act like everything that's happening in America is somehow overly terrible and unique when it's not. It's not even close. And every issue agreement you try to raise that's so-called bad in America is child's play compared to what everyone else is dealing with. When you bring up poverty in America, 
the average American, in, in the poverty living in America is what, 30,000 a year? 75% of the 7 billion people on the planet today live off of less than $200 a month of income. And their standard of living would never be found nor accepted anywhere in the United States. That's not even, even prisoners in America live better than that. Would they at least get three meals a day and clean water and access to clean water? That's not true for the majority of the world. And I've lived in Europe, I've lived in Africa, I've lived in many third world countries, I've done a lot of projects there, and I've seen things there that you probably have never witnessed, that you haven't even encountered, that you haven't seen, you don't even know what it's like to live in those situations. And you think you got it bad in America because you don't have the perspective. You've been, you've been, you, all you know is the framework of what it's like here in the U.S. And you're based, you're, you view yourself and you compare yourself to the rich and wealthy in America. You don't compare yourself to the 7 billion people on the planet and how they live and how the majority of them really suffer and have real oppression and don't have any freedom whatsoever. Well, they can't so much as say anything publicly negative about their government without threat of imprisonment or potential death. You don't know what that's like. That's why I'm telling you you're just a soft American who doesn't know what real struggle is. And you think you know it, but you have no idea what it is. That's why your perspective is horrible and limited. And you don't appreciate the freedoms you have because you don't know what it's like to live without them. You, 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 you're the epitome of a spoiled brat who lives in this well-off area. And when other people come in who live in real dire situations and know what it's like to really suffer, they hear this spoiled brat complain when you got a silver spoon in your mouth, acting like you got it bad when you don't know what it's like to have it bad. That's why I said what I said. That's why I said you're soft. You're just a weak person. That's what the majority of Americans have become because you've been living in freedom and opportunity all your life. You don't know what it's like to really struggle. You have no clue. It's an embarrassing. Right, Carlo, we, Carlo, as a man to say this, you're a weak Carlo, man. I know do, you're a weak man. Let me, let, let me do this, Carl. I'll give you one wait, more minute to speak, and then, and then we respond to your narrative. Because I'm not in agreement with your narrative either. I've been humble with you, but you got one more minute, then we respond to your, your confusion. But go ahead. Carlo? No, I'm just I'm I'm a, I'm adjusting because I have an outsider's perspective. Most of you, I'm assuming, you probably were born in America, grew up in America. I've, and I've that's born what overseas. But that means I have an outside. I have a different perspective of just of one in America only, because a lot of people who grew up in America and so we and may only not, know God, America. You are making certain assumptions that are not true. I really regret. I really um. I, that's uh, why I said I'm assuming some of you. I may be wrong, but I'm assuming some of you because you're, you're if totally anyone who spent time overseas, if, if you're telling me you spent time overseas in in third world countries, and you're coming back and yes. to try to say that America's yes. bad or America or Americans yes. have it bad, that's ridiculous. Yes, that, I'm that, telling that you. Tells yes, me you're nothing. Yeah, and I, that's because you're a Marxist. That's why it is. You're influenced by your Marxist ideology to despise America. I'm saying you're a capitalist. You're influenced by capitalism. I'm saying you're a capitalist. So which you better point. I told you I used to be a Marxist, and I understand your view, and I'm telling you Marxism failed because it's demonstrated through history that Marxism has failed every time it's been implemented on any national level, any country, you you name it. And I'm telling you um, I used to be a capitalist. I tell you I used to be a capitalist. Now I'm a Pan-Africanist and a socialist. And that, that, shows you, that shows you. You live in an economy that's okay. worth fifteen twenty dollars. And you uh, now, uh, you um, uh, uh, you indicated that you uh, that, that 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 you that you did not grow up in the U.S. You immigrated here, and uh, you probably uh, have no idea how 
the U.S. managed to acquire the wealth that it has. It acquired that wealth off the backs and sweat and labor and land of the so-called third world. That's how the U.S. got its wealth. And it is not evenly distributed. It is very unevenly distributed. Okay. Can, can you tell and, me one uh, socialist there, government or socialist economic system that ever generated the type of wealth that is seen in capitalist countries? Can you name me one? Scandinavian countries. Uh, just just oh, Scandinavian countries. Scandinavian well, countries. For one. Socialist, socialist countries. Ask the question. Ask countries the cannot generate wealth. Whoa, 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 all they do is suck it away from people. This guy full of this guy full of bullshit, man. This guy full of bullshit. He's just wasting our time, brother no. Africa. He's oh, wasting you're, our time. You're saying that because no, he's a Marxist. That's why you say that. In terms of Marxism, if Marxism, if Marxism was such, if Marxism failed, then why is the U.S. and the Western nations continue to fight anybody who attempts to achieve Marxism? It's very, very simple. That this bullshit that he keeps talking about has failed. Well, it never oh, had a so, chance. So Marxism every didn't time, fail? Every time, oh, so the Soviet every time Union didn't rise up. Whoa, 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 whoa. Every time governments rise up to implement socialism, what happens? It's under attack. Why? Because they understand the efficacy in terms of socialism. They understand the value of socialism. And the problem that you keep talking about around the world, make no mistake about it, fellow. All of us travel around the world. So don't think, don't think for one goddamn second that we're naive, that we simply... We simply just talking and be talking. Most of us travel outside the world, and we travel intimately in and out of Africa and in the Middle East. So don't come with that bullshit about somehow that you world, world traveler and you understand what the, what, the, what the situation is, and we have no understanding. We have a very firm understanding of what the hell is going on. So understand that. And all that dumb shit you're talking about, Marxism versus capitalism, you're not a capitalist fool. You're pro-capitalist. If you were a capitalist, trust me, you wouldn't even be on this line. Because you benefit from everything conceivable that the society has to offer. You're pro-capitalist. You want to be an exporter. You want to use and abuse people for material gain. You just haven't reached that level yet. And you're not going to. I don't give a damn how bright and brilliant you think you are or how much money you think you have opportunity to make. You never will. And so because you come from a poor country and you think America is free because somehow it's, it's, it's morally upstanding, hell no. As Brother Anthony alluded to, the reason why is we used to cover the exploitation, the marginalization, the oppression of people, brown, black and brown people throughout the world. That's why the U.S. is wealth, wealthy. And the in particular, when you talk about the exploitation of African people in America and what they did to my ancestors, you know, and for you to talk about freedoms, that just bores my blood. And normally I try to stay calm, but I got to tell you, fella, you said a lot of dumbass things, and, you know, and, and you really believe that what you're saying makes sense. And, and, and fortunately, You've got too many people out here who actually believe that dumb shit that you're running has some legitimacy. It has some legitimacy. And that's just the bottom line. All right, panelists. Anybody else will respond to the comments on this caller? Um, one of the concerns I have in terms of looking at the narratives that the caller will push in, even if he believe it, he's saying too much like, like, like the enemy. In terms of, number one, his credentials or what he has done and what he has been, that can't be verified. Anyone can easily make those credentials up. And number two, I mean, the truth told one time was smacked the lie, lie down, the lies told many times. And we know that this whole question of poverty doesn't exist in the United States. And we can talk about the quality of poverty from one country to another. This is just a bunch of confusion. 
and we do know tactically the enemy will call in to redirect the nature of the work that the people are trying to do that will help them move forward. And I feel like I have given him enough time to make his point. But if anything else, anybody else would like to respond to, to his particular point, we can move Well, I, I just want to say the Soviet Union from 1917 to, to when it was collapsed, was a very, very successful economic political system. Uh, it, it competed and and out did outpace the U.S. government uh, economy, and uh, that's a fact. Thank you. Well, I just have two points here um, to say that one thing that I do agree with what what uh, that caller is saying is that. This country, in terms of what we see, we are kind of like wimps when it comes to what happens here. The, the, the standard of living, as you all know, in some of the places, and I'm not saying why, because I, I definitely don't agree with any of the other things, why people are in poverty. There's poverty here. But I have seen, for instance, being in the schools, children throwing away different things that they probably shouldn't be throwing away that are very poor children. Mm. And I see them behaving in a manner, I've seen them behaving in a manner that that I would not even allow my kids to do, and they were really, really poor children. And so why that is, I don't know, but I see a lot of waste in this country that really bugs me. Mm. And having been a pretty world traveler, Pretty, pretty, pretty far into the boonies of a lot of countries. The children there would love to live off of the scraps that many of us throw away. And yet, that's not what I'm saying here. And I don't think people are homeless because of uh, mental illness necessarily or because of drug use. I think a lot of people are homeless because of some of those things but majority of them are homeless because the capitalists have failed them. They have believed what this caller believes, and when, the, when it's come time to pay up, ante up, it's time for them to, for instance, you lose a job, you get sick. I think that's why most people get homeless. They get discouraged, families break apart. I, they, they may become drug addicts. They may become whatever later on but it's certainly not because that's on the front end of it. I think that may be on the back end of the situation. So um, it's it's uh, kind of a mixed bag here, and I just I agree that the system, it really is bad, and I agree with uh, Hakeem's, this, this whole democracy business, this whole uh, capitalist business exploits, Many, many people. I don't know how it gets fixed. I've been told it can't be fixed. You either are or you're not. I, I, I think there's some balance in it still in terms of how people are treated. But we do know that this country has lived off the backs of many poor people all over the world, and that's how it gets its money, and plus it steals everything it can from anybody, and it goes in and it and I mean stealing in terms of wars, it just takes what it wants, and that's not right. 
and yet it does the same thing in this country that these people are doing that they say they're going to be freeing them up from all these wars. So, no, too many hypocrisies here. Not a good country, but so far, as long as we live here, we deserve to be here a lot more than those people who happen to be in power now because black people built this country. That's all I have to say. And that was a response. Then we can move forward. I mean. Yo, listen, Brother Africa, man, I tell you, I just, in the 21st century, you know, that kind of rhetoric, that kind of nonsense, I mean, in the 21st century, I mean, it just drives me crazy. And I really should be able to just listen to that dumb, that, that nonsense and remain calm. But the problem is that the implication, and you got people who think like that, or who are people who are willing to exploit you out of the out of the notion that in fact that exploitation is a natural phenomenon. This is the way people are supposed to behave. And so therefore if you got people who think that exploitation is natural and it's the way you're supposed to behave, then you've got no other recourse but to fight. Because you can't reason with people like that who actually think that exploitation of other human beings is a natural thing. And then the mere fact that you don't understand the nature in terms of imperialism, you don't understand the exploitation of the particular continent in terms of what they the four hundred years of what they've done to the well actually longer than that. Longer than that. Like 1,500 years, what they've done to the continent. I mean, if you don't understand the economic history in terms of it, I don't know what to say. And to say that the United States possess freedoms, it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? What freedoms are you talking about, fool? <laughs> and, and the point I was trying to make earlier, and the point, and the point I was trying to make earlier was that when the country talks about protecting minority, they're not talking about racial ethnic groups. They're talking about wealthy people, landowners. That's what they're talking about. All this, all this thing that we talk about the Constitution was geared toward empowering the wealthy. And that's all it's been. And that process has continued to evolve throughout the ages. And so for someone to say, you know, that you got freedoms, that, so, that somehow that you can actually impact on the government, that you have some place in terms of the policy that is enacted, it's just, it's just drives up the wall. Because I can't believe anybody can be that stupid. I really don't. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people in the U.S., unfortunately, that believe that rhetoric uh, because yeah. uh, they haven't uh, they haven't looked at other ideologies. And the thing about it, though, now uh, I myself, I'm an incumbent terrorist, uh, not a, a Marxist, but they are, but every culture produces an ideology. And uh, and the thing about it, though, we've been so uh, 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 brainwashed by the media and the educational system that we believe a lot of the rhetoric, rhetoric we hear over the media and the school system, unfortunately. And uh, it, it causes confusion. And uh, and the thing about it though, and the thing about it though, if you if you suffer from illiteracy or poverty, then you really can't fully take a, 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 a enjoy those freedoms that allegedly exist here. You know, just one last thing I wanted to say is that people have a way of being here but, and, and come up with those ideologies and belief systems as this caller here has. And I, I don't really, um, I don't really try to refute them anymore. I had a very close friend who was from Uganda 
And uh, she kind of had that same ideology. And after many years of discussing it with her, um, she became very distraught when she lost her very high-level job at uh, the U.S., uh, the federal bank, federal bank there. And then she began to understand it. So people, I don't argue, I mean, I don't, you know, I know how it really is like I, my jaw dropped too that it, we have people that really don't quite understand this stuff in that way. But people oftentimes when they once they've bought into the whole system of, of what these people are saying about capitalism and why they're going over the world as freedom and freedom and that, they don't get it until something devastates their lives and then they say, oh, I guess this is what this was about. This is what this person has been telling me, trying to tell me all these years. And many, many, many immigrants feel that way and think that way until the shoe drops on them and their work or their education. And she was going to get her doctorate degree. And so her whole world stopped. So I just wanted to share that. That's not, this is not uncommon. And I kind of, I used to be so upset about this trying to convince, but I've learned I can't convince them. Nothing convinces them more than a true experience of what you've been talking about. But but the problem though, Sister Hattie, is there's a subtext, uh, a supposition in what she's making, and which says that people, by by virtue of not having opportunities in society, is something fundamental wrong with them. That's what he's saying. And that's why I get so damn angry, because if you got people who really believe that people want to be living house of arrest, or people want to live on the streets, or people are taking drugs to escape reality. If you really think that that's what people desire for their lives, then I don't know what to say. It just pisses, it just, it just angers me to no end. It, it's kind of stupidity. I really don't think in the 21st century, in the 21st century, we're still dealing with this, this, this fucking 18th century mentality. I mean, it's fucking, I'm lying to you. It's hard. That kind of stupidity, that kind of guy like that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk to him on the street. I mean, if he talked to me, I'd probably punch him in the mouth. But I'm going to be honest with you. I'd get subjected because he's, cause he's so fucking stupid. I mean, he gets so damn stupid. I just couldn't, I couldn't take it. That's why people like that, I would never talk to uh, – I mean, I would talk to him, but when he gets too ra- outrageous, yeah. I would cut it off. Yeah. It's because outrageous. I know if he, keep, if he keep talking, I'm going to punch him in the mouth. I'm going to stop the fuck with reason. This guy doesn't appreciate reason. So I'm just punching him in the damn mouth but he can understand. And that's wrong to feel that way. <laughs> That's why we're faced with Trump and the Democrats and the Republicans. This is the dominant ideology. Right. But you know what, Brother Robert, the problem is this. The problem is this. People who think like that, and the reason why we try to say, listen, we can have discourse, we can struggle, you know, we can come to some consensus in terms of what's really going on. Well, people who think like that, there is no consensus. There is no consensus building. There's no way you can communicate to them. So on a person, on a person like that, you, you got you got to fight them, because you, I mean literally fight them, because people who think like and problem with the capitalist men, men, mentality is that the exploitation of people, the the debilitation of people, treating people as less than human beings, and then when that when, and then when that debilitation manifests itself, when people's pain and suffering manifests itself, they blame them for the pain and suffering that they endure, but it's a result of what they're doing to the people. So the people come to realization, <coughs> the only recourse. Is that you know what? I have to stand and fight. I don't have any choice because I'm dealing with people who are incapable of understanding the reality of the situation, and that's what this guy does. People like that just irritates me to no end because fundamental stuff, just fundamental stuff. 
and to make blankets like a, like a stupid ass statement that people want to be homeless. That they're drinking, that's why they're homeless. I'm, I'm like, you know, what, what the hell? What, where did this come from? Where did you get that from? I mean, seriously. I mean, what, 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 even, even the right-wing magazines would never say that people lose their homes because they, because they, they drink too much. They may use other kind of rationale to justify homelessness, but they would never say something like that. So um, my question is, where the hell does that come from? And that, that what gets, gets me. I mean, that's what gets me. Stere- stereotypes. Stereotypes has brought into stereotypes that the white male power system has put in his head. That's where. But it kills me, though, because this, but this kind of guy, you, you, this kind of guy, you got enough people like him in power. What are you going to do? If you don't fight, then, you, then you, 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 you're almost surrendering to a certain death because they don't mind destroying you because they can blame you for, for, for your own destruction. I mean, when they, when, they, when they create these conditions which is unbearable for the human being to exist, all right, so when you die, you know, they turn around and say, well, it's your fault you died because, you know, uh, X, X, Y, and Z. And so they're very good in terms of, you know, obfuscating responsibility and simply blaming individuals for the problems that they're confronted with and not understanding or don't want to understand that the system in place that facilitates all this, all this suffering, all this sickness, and all this disease and homelessness and so forth and so on. And he knows that. No. I got a sense that the guy knew that, but he just played a game. You know, and I shouldn't even. No, you right, uh, I One of the techniques of neocolonialism is to blame the victim. In other words, and the thing about it, though, and the thing about it, though, uh, capitalism used uh, celebrity Bill Cosby, who's in jail tonight. But anyway, they used him in order to blame. Uh, to blame Africans that were uh, uh, that were doing that were uh, asserting their cultural identity as a way of alleviating their oppression, and uh, he disparaged that. And uh, you know, and uh, you know, and the thing about it, though, I mean, um, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, we've been struggling for centuries to try to alleviate, uh, you know, to get from our oppression. Uh, the 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 thing the the thing uh, it, it hasn't worked to this point because we are not an organized people. But they are. Uh, but the uh, uh, enemy has created a comprador class, the petty bourgeoisie, to try to keep to keep the working masses in check, and to keep them from uh, you know from uh, you know. Um, you know, the, uh, asserting our culture and our identity, and looking for the correct solution to our problems, which is Pan-Africanism. But yeah, well, it, just, it, it uh, is a difficult value. But I, I just want to apologize to the panelists, man, because I, you know, but I just 21st century. I'm just, I'm just hard pressed to believe it's 21st century. You still got that 16th century mentality. I'm just, it's just hard for me to believe that's real. <laughs> So anyway, I apologize. I, for well, that's why, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's kind of hard to believe that that's real. It really is. No, but uh, I mean, uh, un- unfortunate, unfortunately, uh, bad habits and bad beliefs die very hard, and that is why uh, it's going to take a relentless ideological struggle to bring about a liberation. Because uh, we not only have the enemy of capitalism to deal with, we also have the various enemies amongst ourselves that we have to fight as well. And that's a, and that's a tougher struggle. 
I would just like to make that from his presentation to Carlo. There are certain assumptions that he was making that are very disturbing. Number one, I don't know, he arrived at the assumption that we never be nowhere or live nowhere else outside of America. Number two, why are we speak about the liberation of humanity and liberation of our people as Africans, we have to be lumped into a Marxist way of thinking. That's your typical racist European thinking when it comes to other people who don't see the world like they see them. If we see it differently, we've got to still take on another philosophy that comes from them. That is very typical, a typical racist, you know, um, European. And mm-hmm, absolutely. And number three, I'm not confused, and he will make me confused, because I have no confusion when I hear it. No one can tell me that the first time he, capitalism met Africans and enslaved Africans. Well, why would any system free you when they first, when the first contact with you they made you into slaves? So why we want to? Why would we advocate any kind of constitution, any kind of philosophy, any kind of ideal? on the system that were created to enslave you. I'm not confused at all. And I knew that he was acting, even if he wasn't, but he was acting and carrying out the policy of the enemy. Confusion. Let me try to give him enough time to make his position, to stake his position, but also we've got to realize this is a illogical wall. The enemy will come at you all kinds of ways and forms. I'm not, not that certain. They intentionally came and called in to try to create this confusion. So those are my thoughts and the response. Panelists, we only have a few minutes left. What we're going to do today is we will continue. Actually, next week, um, we will deal with this whole question of the warfare against Venezuela, Cuba, and the people. But for tonight, I think we have had that discussion on what's going on in our world and the community. And we'd like to have the listening audience and those who hear this program to email us and tell us what you think about this program this particular show by emailing us at African Awareness, by emailing us at Africa on the Move 2 at gmail.com, Africa on the Move 2 at gmail.com. We'd like to hear your views and comments. Audience, final thoughts tonight. We started off with Brother Robert. Brother Robert, your final thoughts for tonight. Well, it's been an interesting show. I, I think, you know, like I said, that mentality of the dominant, I ideas in this society uh, that's why we are faced with Donald Trump and the Republicans and the Democrats uh, um, basically that you know one one way or another that is the the, the uh, narrative that we're that they're putting out to the people and uh, you know uh, we have to patiently and, and uh Explain to the masses exactly what is wrong with that ideology, and uh, and uh, and and that's the task. You know, we have to educate and organize. Educate and organize. Uh, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. We thank you, Brother Moses. Sister Hannah, your final thoughts for tonight. Well, my final thoughts for tonight is the word that sticks in my mind is. We do have to continue to educate at a young age our children, and then we have to deprogram those who have been programmed with these filthy lies of the capitalists, imperialists, and those individuals who seek to continue to exploit and oppress others around the world. So I just say we need a great 
deprogramming, debriefing from all ages after listening to that one tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Hattie. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight. My final thought for tonight is that we need to organize like we never have before. We need to intensify level of organization, and we must politically educate ourselves and our youth especially. And Brother Anthony, about your organization, how can you find out more information? And many of the issues that this caller spoke to, I thank you all. Your organization has done some research in terms of articulating to the people, and particularly to the masses in terms of African people, which way forward. Can you share how can you find out more about your organization? Certainly. Uh, To learn more about the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, people can visit our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org. And on that website, there are, uh, oh, let's see, if you'll navigate through it, you'll find various documents that have our positions on various issues relating to African history, culture, and ideology. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Haki, your final thoughts for tonight. Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, African Awareness Association of the Black History, Education, and Culture Tour to Cuba. We go to Matanzas, Trinidad, and Havana. This takes place December 27th to January 3rd, 2019. More information, contact us at 804-549-7492 or area code 202-714-9435 or visit our website at www.aaa-cubatours.com. And, again, I just want to reiterate, reiterate, I'm sorry to the audience for losing my cool over that stupidity, uh, but, the, the, but the notion that uh, um, that someone take pride in manipulating and exploiting people who are already downtrodden, it just irritates me to no end. And when I again, I apologize to the uh, the audience, I mean to the audience and to the panelists. Everybody, you have a good night. Thank you, Haki. Thank you, all the panelists. Thank you for the participants who call in, and of course, thank you to listen audience who listens to support Africa on Move. We also want to encourage you to come also with us. We're going to be going with African Wedding Association to Cuba on December 23rd to January, December 27th to January. Uh, we have a great responsibility. We have a debt we must pay to our brothers and sisters in Cuba, but more importantly, we recognize Cuba is an intimate part of the African People Liberation Movement. Um, so if you can go anywhere, we should make an investment in you by going to Cuba and learning from their experiences. Again, you can call 804-549-7492 or 202-714-9435. Or go to that website at www.aaa-cubatools.com. Until next time, you have experienced the importance of ideological struggle. We want you to think, be able to think clearly so you can act clearly. And when you can act clearly, you know precisely what to do as we travel down the road of liberation to help liberate our people and humanity from all of, all of the various forms of oppression. As your host, Brother Africa, we want to remind you that in order to get on up, sometimes we have to get on down. We don't want peace right now. We're fighting for equal rights and justice. <laughs> Get up, stand up, stand up for your right.